I was uh, interested the other day, I was doing some research, and I thought, I want to look up and see, why do we have seven days a week? Where did that come from? I wanted to see what uh, the grand old internet would tell us. So I did a search. And there were many different answers to that question, many different ideas. Some sites said that it came from the Babylonians that they assigned a day to each of the classical planets that they knew of at that time, including the sun and the moon. So we have seven days of the week since there were seven planets or seven celestial bodies that they knew about. Other sites claim that it was because of the phase of the moon, but then they had to make some adjustments because of it. Others attributed it to the Romans. But I found very, very few sites but go back to the true source of the seven-day week, and that's Genesis. In seven days, God created all of creation, seven literal days, a position that is not exactly um, popular today in our world. And then in Exodus, when God was leading the Israelites out through the desert and they, he gave them the law, he cemented the seven-day week with keeping of the Sabbath. And in Exodus 20, this is what he told them. He said, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Right there, that kind of made me think that, well, I think the Israelites were always trying to look for that loophole. So God is trying to make sure there's no loopholes. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So for some 2,000 years since Christ came and was crucified, Christians have in some form or some shape have been keeping, trying to keep the Sabbath, some form of it. But I think today our society has wandered somewhat away from the Sabbath. In fact... In history, we know that they've even tried to change the seven-day week. During the French Revolution, they switched to a ten-day week, figuring, well, if, if people work for six, or six days and they get this much productivity, well, what if we made it ten? That would be at least three more days of work, and people would be more productive. We'd get more things. A very socialistic idea. But the problem was they found that there was no difference between working 70 hours a week and only working 45. If you work 70 hours a week, you get the same amount of work done as you do working 45. Could it be that maybe God designed our bodies in such a way that we only are supposed to work so much time? It's possible and most likely. Now, research has shown that um, once you've worked 45 hours, your productivity actually plummets, that it actually decreases. And it's, this is not a product of, of human ingenuity. It's not a product of, okay, I've worked by 45 hours since that's what we normally do, or we were 40 hours or whatever it is we work, and I'm just not going to work so hard. No, they found out that it had nothing to do with the person. It had to do with their bodies. It had to do with 
how we were made and what we were made for. We were designed by a marvelous creator who wants the best for us, both physically and spiritually. So he made us, so we would not, the more we work, the more we don't get more productive. A lot of us, including me, don't always understand that. I'm beginning to understand that now because I'm finding that I can get a lot more done in two hours outside in the heat than I would four hours outside in the heat because those last two hours, all I'm doing is just I'm tired, sweating, and I'm not working as well, and I'm making more mistakes, hence why I get more cuts on me and hit my finger with a hammer hit my leg with a hammer like I did yesterday. You know, it, it doesn't, more working outside, more work does not make more productivity. Last week we saw that the Israelites were deceiving themselves with their religiosity. So Isaiah is going to continue to point out their heart problems. And I think that's the biggest thing with keeping the Sabbath. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem that we have. So we're going to go to verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah 58. And I'm going to ask that you stand as we read this. Um, I've gotten away from that. And I I think when, I think I'm I'm changing a few things here in how I'm preaching. I think I'm going to have a stand when I read the word, um, especially when I read the main verse that we're going to be going through. It says in verse 13, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the sabbath a delight and the holy day of the lord honorable if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly then you shall take delight in the lord and i will make you ride on the heights of the earth i will feed you with the heritage of jacob your father for the mouth of the lord has spoken father we praise you for the sabbath where we can delight in you. And you will delight in us. You've spoken. May we hear it and apply it and live it. Amen. Have a seat. What Isaiah has just done in these two verses, he's taken his the problem the Israelites were having with fasting and humbling themselves. And he's bringing in the Sabbath along with that. Because see... The Sabbath was supposed to be a fast from the world of doing. We live in a world of doing. We always have something we have to do. We always have things that got to get done. I don't know about you, but I have a list at my house of all the things I need to get done. And they, it is a long list. And there are some days, because a lot of them are outside, I can't do it. I'm not going out in 98-degree weather with 100% humidity, or 98% humidity, because it was 100% it's raining. I can't do that either. And work outside. I just can't. I have limits. But we're supposed to go from a, a time of doing in the world to a time of being with God. And the result of doing instead of being has made us the most emotionally exhausted, the most psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in the history of the world. Now, I say that, and I know that some people argue, well, God worked on the Sabbath. God works on the Sabbath, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he does. The rivers still flow. 
the rain still falls, the sun still comes up, people still are born, people still die. Yes, God still does things. He still is sovereign on the Sabbath. But we have to always remember that, number one, we're not God. Then other people might say, well, doesn't Satan still work on the Sabbath? Oh, yeah, he does. He does work on the Sabbath. Be very correct in saying that. But then we also have to remember that Satan loses. (laughs) He's lost. And I'm not so sure he's the one we need to emulate. The Sabbath is to be a day of peace. A chance for us to find peace in our world and peace with God, with nature, with society, with our neighbors, with ourselves. See, the prohibition on earth on working was, was meant to stop us for at least a day from the attempt to tame, to overcome nature, to overcome this world, to subdue the earth and everything that is in it. It was one day where we could rest from doing that. Now, what I want to make sure we understand is if that, if that doesn't mean that if somebody asks me to help them on the Sabbath, they need something, that's the only day they can do it, that doesn't mean I can say, no, nope, sorry, it's the Sabbath, I can't do it. Because that's not being loving to my neighbor. That's not being caring. Because see, Jesus himself performed miracles on the Sabbath, which brought him into conflict with the Pharisees because they said no work whatsoever. I was preaching on Wednesday night at uh, over at New Life Ministries in, in Huntington, and I was preaching on when Jesus was at the, at the pool of Bethesda, and the man he tells the man, do you want to be well? And he says, I can't get in the water. And Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. And he did. He took up his mat and walked. And it was the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees come along and say, what are you carrying that mat for? You're not allowed to. That's work. But see, that was man's law. It Nowhere in Scripture it says you can't carry your mat on Sunday or on the Sabbath. It was Saturday for them, Friday night to Saturday night. There's nothing that says that you can't help someone on the Sabbath. There's nothing that says you can't do things that, that you enjoy on the Sabbath, that, that you delight in. I, I like mowing the lawn. So there's nothing wrong with me mowing the lawn on Sabbath because I don't consider it work. It gives me time to spend time with God and listen to Him over the roar of the lawnmower. It blocks out everything else. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem starts to come when we start doing things for ourselves and ourselves alone and we forget about God on the Sabbath. See, God gave the law to encourage the Israelites to love him and to love others. I mean, Jesus tells us in Mark 12, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if you are find yourself in a place where you can love on your neighbor and it's a Sabbath, you better do it because that law is greater than the Sabbath law. And you will not break the Sabbath law by helping a neighbor, by loving on someone. God never prohibited doing good on the Sabbath. The Pharisees acted like God had created people so that they could keep the Sabbath. That's kind of strange. 
But Jesus made it clear that the Sabbath was a gift from God for his people. Because he tells them in Mark 2, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You and I have the Sabbath that was given to us. We weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. For us to have a day of peace, a day of rest. They had it backwards. And we sometimes get it backwards too. See, they walked away from keeping the Sabbath. Making it just like any other day. And then placing a plethora of rules around it so that they wouldn't break the Sabbath. Did you know they had a rule that you could only walk so far on Sabbath on the Sabbath? So if you lived more than so many steps from the tabernacle or from the, from the temple or from a synagogue, you couldn't go on the Sabbath because you'd walk one too many steps or how many extra steps you had. But see, the reality is, is that when we, when, we, when we do this, when we, when we hem ourselves in where we can do no good on the Sabbath, what we're doing is we're breaking the very purpose of the Sabbath, which was for God to delight in us, for us to delight in Him. And when we do good on the Sabbath, God delights in that. They needed to turn around. That's, was, is, that's why it says, you know, when you turn your foot, come back to the Sabbath, Go back to Sabbath keeping. See, twice God calls the Sabbath a holy day in these verses. The word holy means to be set apart for God as his own prized possessions. The Israelites, the church, were to be, are to be holy, set apart from God. We're not supposed to be like the rest of the world. Unfortunately, I think we too many times are. Because Peter told us in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's talking, to, he's talking to believers here. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, being a people of the Sabbath, being people who are holy, means that for us the, the highest values of the Sabbath are not professional or commercial. If those are what we value most, then it's going to destroy us and it's going to destroy those around us. We need to find time to where we can find Sabbath rest, where we can find peace with those around us and peace with God and delight in God. It's the delight of the Lord that enriches us and enriches all of those that are around us. The Sabbath is meant to structure our schedules around glorifying God and not ourselves. I think too many times, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, I, I, I form my schedule about getting my task completed and I don't even think about how can I do things in such a way that it glorifies God. And you're thinking, well, I don't know. I, I, I have to, you know, how can I make changing the cat box, glorify God. <laughs> well, think about that. There, are, God has blessed us with, with pets that do so much for us most of the time. <laughs> I know, sometimes my pets are... They cause more problems than they're worth. But there's those moments where they bring us joy and it's like, isn't this not worth it? Isn't it nice for me to do something for my pet? Or to do something, if it's something that my kids normally do, that I do for them. Well, that my wife normally does, that I can do for her. 
The Sabbath is meant to be enjoyed and to glorify God together as people. For some people, the Sabbath is more of an inconvenience. You know, we've become a a society that values convenience over other things. We avoid inconvenience. You know, don't worry if you can't make it to the 830 church service. We have one at 930, 1030, 1130, 1230, you know. And I understand that there are some times that the church is so big that you can't have, you know, you can't have everybody in one room that go to the church. But then I always wonder, you know, once you reach a thousand, don't you think you need to split that church off and go and start another church in a place that there isn't one? Well, that would be an inconvenience. Yeah, it would. But you know what? The most important things in our lives are inconveniences. I'm sorry. Children are not a convenience. (laughs) Many times they are inconvenient. But they're awesome. And they're a blessing from God. So I I, I get concerned when we start saying, well, you know, I just can't do that because it's too early or it's too late. I'm like, really? If there was something you really wanted to do, you would make the effort to do it, no matter what's going on. But we've become a society that doesn't like to do that. We we want convenience. Have you ever heard of the 15-minute cities? The plan is, and this is part of the World Economic Forum, they want to plan 15-minute cities so you only live 15 minutes from everything you need so you never have to go more than 15 minutes away from your home. So you never need to have a car because they'll have public transportation that takes you there. 15 minutes. That means no longer going to the north side of Fort Wayne. For some cities, that means no longer going out of your neighborhood because it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to go that far. See, the the writer of Hebrews understood the importance of corporate Sabbath-keeping. Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, even back then it began to be habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What he is saying is we have to be meeting together to encourage each other. And as as the day draws near, as we get closer to the day of the Lord, it becomes even more and more important that we're gathering together and we're encouraging each other because it's going to be hard for us to be alone out in this world that's fallen apart and where the Antichrist is going to ultimately come and take over. It's happening, folks. It's getting harder and harder. And we need to encourage each other. We need to be with each other. If we're not, we're a perfect target for the evil one. If we keep the Sabbath one day out of seven, let's think about this. If we actually kept the Sabbath the way we should, one day out of seven, that's 52 weeks a year, we would add seven and a half weeks of what we might call vacation to our year. Seven and a half weeks of actually delighting in God. Not goofing off, but actually delighting in God. Focusing on Him. See, God has set the appointment. This is what you need to do. Do we love Him enough to keep that appointment? Now understand, I work on the Sabbath. I, I preach. Now I enjoy it, but I preach. But it is work. So I had to find some other times during the week for me to have a Sabbath for a couple hours at least. But the rest of my day, I need to spend time with my family today. And I need to, it's Kayla's birthday, so we're, it's kind of crazy some of the stuff we're going to do. But 
you know, I, I need to find time to delight in God. If we do this, there can be some amazing things that happen to us. God makes promises to us. Look what he says in verse 14 again. He says, Then you shall have to take delight in the Lord, and I will make you right on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You feel like sometimes you can't delight in God? Well, maybe it's because you're not keeping the Sabbath. Maybe it's because you're not gathering together with other believers enough and actually being encouraged when I finish making my garden boxes that I'm making, I look at it and I say, man, that looks great. It looks good. I take delight in it. Now, granted, I know because I made it and I've got the bruises and the scratches to prove it that it's not perfect. But I still delight in it. When God finished his work on the sixth day, he looked at everything and saw that it was very good. And he delighted in it. We need to delight in Him. For us, to delight in the Lord is the most precious treasure that we could ever have. Our delighting in God will open everything up to us. When we find joy in the Lord, it, it, it changes our perspective. It changes our attitude. It changes how we look at the world and how we look at people. And our delight in God leads to faith in Jesus Christ and it has a t- and, it, and with that, when we have faith in Christ, it removes that heaviness of the sin on us, off of us, and we can take up delight in God and what He's doing, even in the midst of our trials. That's that first song we did, "Firm Foundation." You know, I, I'm, I still have joy in chaos that makes no sense. Why? Because I delight in the Lord. See, delighting in God builds the church. And I don't mean the building. I mean us as people. It builds our relationship. God loves it when we delight in Him because He delights in us and we delight in each other. We see God in each other and we delight in it. I delight in my children. There are times that just... They're reaching that age of Caleb's 14 today. So they're reaching that age where they're... They can have some issues (laughs) and, and, and personality conflicts that are, you know... But I delight when I hear them talking about God and talking about their faith. And I just praise God for it. And I delight in God because of what he's doing in their lives. I'm still worried about them. (laughs) I still want to hover over them to protect them. But I take delight in knowing that at least they have their sights set on God for now. And I just pray for God to continue to walk in their lives, for him to delight in them, for them to delight in God in every walk in their life. In Zephaniah, chapter 3, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Isn't that what you want God to do? Don't you want him to rejoice over you in gladness? He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The writer of Psalms says that God rescues us in our times of trouble because of his delight in us. Look at this, Psalm 147. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. God delights in you when you put your hope in him. And if we delight in God, he pours out so much to us. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and what? He will give you the desires of your heart. 
See, our delighting in God leads us to victory. Not just victory that the world, as the world sees it, but victory that is promised for those who are in Christ. The trials, the tribulations of the earth will, will not destroy us. Why? Because we have Christ beside us. We have God delighting in us. Giving us the desires of our heart. And what's the desires of our heart? If I love God, if I'm seeking God, my desires are His desires. And the more He gives me those desires, the more I delight in Him. All the trials and tribulations that we experience on this earth will not overcome us because He is our foundation. He is what we place our life upon and delighting in Him. And God will... Feed us with spiritual blessings of heaven. Blessings that were promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why don't we feel that? Why don't we feel the blessings? Because we're not delighting in God. We're not keeping the Sabbath. And when we can't rest assured that if we keep, we can, and we can rest assured that if we keep the true Sabbath, if we keep the Sabbath, the promises of God will be ours because He said so. The, the, the word of the Lord has spoken. Now, let's get into the actual nitty gritty of this idea of the Sabbath. Now, the law of the Sabbath is an old covenant regulation. And the question is, do we have to keep it? I listened to a um, a podcast, and um, this guy is one of the questions. He always has like 20 questions. Ask the pastor. Ask Mike 20 questions, and he has usually one of those questions about once a month is, do we have to keep the Sabbath? Well, let's look at it. We must first of all be thankful to God that we have been delivered from the law. Paul tells the church in Galatians, Galatians 2, he says, For through the law, I, through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. So Paul's saying, I'm dead to the law. The law has no power over me anymore. He also taught in Romans that we are no longer under the old covenant. Romans 6.14, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. So there you go. We don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Not too, not too fast, not so fast now. We know that we can never get forgiveness from our sins from anything we do. Okay, I can't do enough to have forgiveness short of accepting Christ as my Savior. That's the only thing, and that's not a work. It's, just, it's, a, it's a surrender. So our justification only comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. The reality is that um, we, we are trusting in Jesus' law-keeping because he kept the law perfectly and not our own. That's one of the blessings of salvation is that He we keep the law through him. He perfectly kept it. So God the Father transferred our weaknesses, weak, uh, wickedness onto him and transferred his, his sanctification, his his forgiveness of sins, his keeping of the law onto us. That's substitutionary atonement. One of the cornerstone um, beliefs in Christianity. One of our doctrines. And that's how we are saved. Our eternal destiny is not determined by what we do, 
on the Sabbath day. We are free from the law. Now, just because we are free from the law does not mean we have the freedom to break the law. That's kind of odd to think about that, but that's the truth. We still, okay, so think about this. We have the Ten Commandments. We, do we still have to honor our father and mother? Should we still do that? Everybody should be saying yes. Okay, this is a test. Because if, if, if you guys don't answer this right, I'm going to go back. We're going to start, we're going to do like ten weeks on this Ten Commandments. With homework. Okay. Are we allowed to covet? Did I hear no? No, thank you. Okay. Are we allowed to commit adultery? No. Thank you. Are we supposed to love the Lord? Are we supposed to only have one God? We love the Lord with our God, with our heart, mind, soul, soul. Are we supposed to love God? Yes. Okay. If we're supposed to keep all the other nine, then what makes you think we shouldn't keep the Sabbath? Yes. We must also not dishonor the Sabbath, just like we shouldn't dishonor any of the others. But it's more than just the work, because remember what he says, you're, you're talking idly. You're, you're not acting like you should. Now, I, I believe there's another problem we have today, is the people who act like they're keeping the Sabbath on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday they act like they're not even believers. That's a problem. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and boy, Sabbath may be a pretty slow one considering, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We should still keep the law. But we don't keep the law thinking that if we break the law, we're going to go to hell or we're going to be in God's bad graces. No, we keep the law. Why? Because we love Christ. Because we do, we do what he did, and he kept the Sabbath. We can't fool God. If we think we can observe all these, these external things of the Old and the New Covenant, and that, and that will excuse us from the requirements of the Sabbath, we're foolish. We, we need to have a heart of obedience. We're supposed to be growing in godliness. And if we think we can just say a prayer and ignore righteous living, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. Because our righteous living must be shown in our actions and in our hearts. Because if not, then we can show that our hearts are far from God. So let me ask you, what do you delight in? What brings you delight? What brings you joy? What do you find joy in your Sabbath? Where do you find it? Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven was like a treasure in a field. And when the man saw that the treasure was in there, he sold everything he had to buy the field, to have the treasure. Are you willing to sell everything you have to have the treasure of God? To be to delight in Him and to delight Him, to delight in you? 
Are you, are you willing to be inconvenienced to focus on God for just a few hours? Let alone a full day. Some people struggle with just a few hours. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. Now, can you do it alone at home? Sure. Of course. I mean, there are people who are today sitting at home watching church in their pajamas, hopefully, doing what they're supposed to do, which is supposed to be delighting in God. But but is it the same as sitting and talking with each other and, and encouraging one another? No. It's nowhere near the same. Sorry. We can't neglect meeting together. We gather together to delight in God as believers and to encourage each other in the Lord. Don't miss the the opportunity to encourage others. Understand, when I encourage others, I get encouraged. I'm encouraged by that. And it brings pleasure to God. It brings delight to God to see me encouraging others in Christ. Now I know, the Sabbath is a very weighty idea. Think about this. God's God who created all, who created everything in creation, all the stars, the universes, the planets, the seen, the unseen, Every atom, he created it all. He rested on the Sabbath. On the seventh day, he rested. We, we can't take this lightly. It's, it's a very weighty that Jesus never abolished the Sabbath. And the other nine commandments are still binding on our hearts just as the Sabbath is. Paul never, uh, never said, don't keep the Sabbath. John, none of the disciples ever said, don't keep the Sabbath. All Jesus did was he redefined it. He he clarified it. Not even redefined it. He clarified it. He clarified the heart of God behind the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or regard of the festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And I don't think he's saying, you know, don't let anybody criticize you about how you keep the Sabbath. What I think he is saying is, remember, that these are just shadows of things to come. And, and there's substance to it, substance of it. What we do is Christ. It belongs to Him. So don't take it lightly. And if I'm doing what I'm supposed to on the Sabbath, if I'm loving those around me, if someone needs help, I'm helping them, I, I shouldn't be criticized for it. Because if I am, then, then I'm doing it for the right reason. And if I'm criticized for it, they don't understand that that's part of me delighting in God is by helping others. But if I'm doing it correctly, then nobody has any reason to criticize. If they do, they, it's... Wordless talking means nothing. Paul told the church at Galatia, in Galatians 5, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, the flesh says, I'm going to keep the Sabbath because I'm not going to do anything on the Sabbath. 
Okay? I'm just going to sit at home and lay in my couch, my, on my couch all Sabbath. I'm just resting. Does that bring honor to God? Is that loving my neighbor? No, obviously it isn't. Well, it could be if you're not a good neighbor. You are loving your neighbor by keeping yourself away from them. He says, don't use it to satisfy the flesh. Don't use it as, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for me. No. Serve one another. Love one another. There's no doubt that our bodies need rest. And as I get older, I'm needing more and more rest. I understand that. The Sabbath is a gift from God to rest from our struggle with the world. To be rejuvenated, to go to battle the remaining six days of the week. And where do we find that rest? Well, we all know, should know 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We find our rest in the shepherd. So let the Lord lead your Sabbath rest. We also have to think that it's not just what is lawful for me to do, but what is best for me to do. We, we, we can't become Pharisees. We can't become Pharisees and, and go through the motions of obeying the law without understanding God's heart for us. Seek God and His will for the Sabbath. So delight in the Lord. Observe the Sabbath with rest from the rest and the trials of this world. Gather together. Encourage each other in the Lord. And you'll be encouraged. Evaluate what you really love. Not what the person sitting next to you loves, but what you really love. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity. God is, we're going to be doing a Sabbath rest for eternity. This is the time to practice it, to be in His presence. It is an act of regular and intentional trust of God's rule of the earth. God will take care of these things if we just trust Him. When we stop struggling, when we stop working, we can truly rest in God's presence. We practice that purposeful pause. And we make room for God to take up residence inside of us, inside of our individual lives, our individual communities. And when we do this, we take part in a new creation story, setting the stage for God to make his dwelling place once again here on earth. Because what we experience now is preparing us for the next life to come. And all these Sabbaths are just a shadow of what it's going to be like to be with Christ. So what do you delight in? Delight in God. Let's pray.